In today's episode, I sit down with Craig Irving, a friend from Scotland. He shares with us the many suspicious things going on in the world that seem to point towards a global agenda going on in the background, while the majority of people are afraid and distracted, rather than educating themselves about what is going on and finding ways to fight back. All right, so you were saying that um, there are skeptics of the official narrative about the coronavirus, and it doesn't take much to police them. You, you don't need a, a police force to do it because there's plenty of denunciation possible between neighbors who, who can watch your behavior, who see whether you're gathering in groups, for example, or whether you're wearing masks in, in places of gathering. And so a lot of people, there might be a lot more people uh, skeptical of the the story about the deadliness of the virus, uh, but who hide it because they're afraid of the consequences just by being seen, uh, not yeah. living according to that story. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I, I, I think, yeah, nobody. The, I, I think that there's probably. I mean, I might be completely wrong here, um, or I might be partially wrong, but I, I. I would suspect that the majority of people are not convinced or sure. And then you've got uh, the distribution at both ends is you've got the people who are absolutely sort of catatonically terrified of the thing um, and are so um, desperate for some oversight and some, some control to be established and they kind of view others as you know a threat mm -hmm. to, to themselves you know like um and so everybody's movements have to be sort of monitored and controlled and the whole thing has to be controlled and we need to get the whole thing under control and the other end which is just seeing this whole thing is like this is this a, a huge um potentially a conspiracy or a power grab or um, uh, you know, some some shady movement at really high levels, and that no government should ever have the power to be able to in, institute some of the controls that they are currently instituting for any reason, whether it's the virus or something else. Um, just because we've seen in history, once a government gets a certain amount of power, power kind of makes humans drunk and mm -hmm. it, it just it, it's it, it's almost like a massive social experiment as well like the people on that side of the the um camp are kind of looking at it in fear of thinking like oh my gosh like everybody's falling in line so easily why is everybody just not questioning this and yeah like it's it's really it's it it's really strange <laughs> and it is it is quite funny how um how sort of everybody is psychographically almost like functioning like algorithms you know like it everybody's it, it everybody's kind of like in their little um sort of psychographic camps and i would go as far as to even say like not to break people down into points of data but you could probably tell how somebody feels about the virus based yeah. on perhaps their taste in music or like their yeah. Yeah, we're very predictable. Or, you know. yeah. 
yeah, or or your comments on social media. It's it's easy to predict how people are feeling about the virus. Yeah. Um, but it's also important that, that we speak about it because otherwise we'll just let happen whatever um, authority uh, decides over us. Yeah. It's, it's a shame how, how people don't know more about history and uh, politics uh, to mm. recognize these patterns. So um, I'm, I'm even surprised that in Germany people are not more critical because um, like I wasn't around when, when Hitler rose to power, but I imagine uh, the times to be very similar to, to these. <laughs> you know, mm. people have, have asked me, how is it possible that a, that a nation full of peace-loving Christians would just let something like, like Hitler happen and just let him take all the right. power and, and force them to kill others right. uh, and kill Jews and gays and blacks? Um, rather than stand up to it. But now we're starting to see the same kind of things repeating. And so we, yes. we need to educate ourselves. We need to learn more about medicine, about e economics, to, to recognize how those systems are being abused to feed us lies, to keep us under control. That, that's how I see the, the situation developing. What do, you think, what do you think are the parallels um, that you see between uh, the the sort of uh, the Hitler Fascism. era and the current era, yeah, yeah. Like, what what do you what do you see as being the the sort of uh, the echoes that you you mentioned there? So I'm I, I'm not an expert either, but um, just uh, power being more and more centralized in less and less hands. Mm. Um, constitutions are being ignored <laughs> and just right. survival instincts kick in. People live in fear and allow the government to just decide all these things for them, whether they make sense or not. So critical thinking goes out the window. And the, the few people that do stay sane and keep their faculties and critical thinking about them are undermined. So in... Mm -hmm. um, in uh, fascist times, in, in, no matter under who or where, the media gets taken control of by the government because you want to be in control of propaganda. You want people to believe the official narrative. And so social media is uh, the main source for people's news, you know, for common people where, where they get their mm. perception of what's going on in the world. And so that is being systematically censored by Silicon Valley, who is obviously mm. working together and with the government. So Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube, all work together, for example. And now um, with, with the storming of the Capitol in Washington DC on the 6th of January, suddenly it's okay to ban presidents from social media. Right, right, <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I uh... I wonder, like, with the um, this, this kind of like a sneaking suspicion I have, which is just a sneaking suspicion. Like, there's no way of verifying this. But you know how agent saboteurs have been used. You know, do you know what I mean by that? Agent yeah. saboteurs. Um, it, it it's like a method of uh, discrediting 
uh, a type of protest. It, it, I can't remember. It, it might have been like it, I, this is like something that I watched and read about a while ago. So all of the like real world examples are passing my head. But I'm sure if you type in examples of agent saboteur mm -hmm. into Google, like it'll come up um, with lots of examples. But I, I think it might have been like during the even perhaps like the Vietnam protests or other kind of protests where at the time the government and big interests didn't, uh, they, they wanted to turn peaceful protests into violent protests. Yeah. Um, and so the weird thing, one of the ways that they discovered that it was agent saboteurs is because they had a sort of people in the, in the crowd who didn't look like they, they were sort of half hippies, but they had like, they had army boots on and things like that. Like, <laughs> and, and then they were the ones that were actually going around and starting to cause the kind of madness, you know, when you really looked at things. And then when they did get arrested, they were just getting, like, they were disappearing or getting let go or like, I, I can't remember all the details on it, but when I look at the situation at the Capitol, like there's a little part of me which kind of wonders like, once one person or a couple of people start to break into, you know, a mob mentality situation like that, how easy it is to fan yeah. the flames of a situation. And even like the, all of the riots that were happening earlier in the year, um, you know, there was some weird reports of, and again, like this is something that I, I don't, uh, I wouldn't feel like confident go entering into like a proper debate about, so I don't have all of the facts laid out, but like the way that these, these riots were actually happening, you know, reports of like bricks getting stacked up outside of places, almost like ready for people to come and use. Mm -hmm. There was some kind of like a weird organized element to things. Um, and yeah, like the, the role that social media has played has been, it, it's like, if you weren't already a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> the, the stuff that's just happened in the past sort of couple of months, it kind of does, it kind of makes you question your position on that because I remember with uh, somebody quite close to me got on the phone to me right after the Capitol stuff and they were saying, oh, did you see what happened? Um, and they were quite uh, like, oh, like Trump's been banned from Twitter. This is great. Like, get him out. And I was like, okay, that's one part of the equation here. But just like having a look at the other part of the equation, even if you disagree com completely with Trump, which I think is a perfectly reasonable position to take, right? Even if you just completely disagree with him, if you ban him, you've just turned him into a martyr. Like, so what you've just <laughs> done is you've emboldened the radical section of the far right that you are claiming you really don't want to, to sort of have any influence. Um, so you've created a martyr. And, and then also, like, you have reinforced the idea in the people who were storming the riot genuinely believe, in most cases, I would think, that the election, that there was nefarious activity and that it was stolen and all of that stuff, and that there's huge power grabs and corruption and... and um, conspiracy stuff going on at the top. 
if you then go ahead and ban Trump, what you're doing is you're emboldening that those people to say, well, see, there you go. Like big tech is is taken over. They're banning the president. This is the, so it, it's counterproductive. You would have been better off just letting him sort of flail around, yeah. leaving it a few months, and then banning him. Like you know, letting him sort of fade away into the the night kind of thing. But yeah, I think the role of big tech in all of this has been really odd, uh, and it's hard to tell if it's a phenomenon or if it's by design. For example. I heard one person make a really good point that like if the algorithms that they've been creating do have an element of sort of warping anybody's minds, whether it's on the far right or the far left or anything else, then has Jack Dorsey been compromised by his own algorithm? Like, is he going through his own Twitter feed and actually being his own mind being warped by what he is getting fed himself. Like mm -hmm. to which point you question if the entire algorithm is in some odd way, got a form of sentience at mm -hmm. that point, you know, uh, which you would probably have a lot of interesting thoughts on since you enjoy algorithms yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love AI. Um, I, I love to read it and watch movies about it. But from what I know, we're not there yet. Uh, you know, autonomous AI um, making up its own mind about humanity. <laughs> and, but I, I definitely like um, being critical of strange things going on and, and finding patterns and not mm. think, leaving everything to chance, but believing that, that there are actually people conspiring, you know, planning, organizing themselves to keep uh, or to take control of as many people as possible because when you are caught up in that herd mentality it's it's really hard to stay you know conscious of what's going on and critical and aware and then it's a lot easier to take control of you and mm. by polarizing people uh, that's that's another way to uh, to keep them busy fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> mm. If you wanted to, if you wanted to uh, destabilize the United States, then you know, creating the the intense far right, far left polarization would be a very effective way of doing it, as we've just yeah. kind of seen. Like at this point now, you've got. I I think it was something. I might be wrong here. But I think that there's a quite a big percentage of Americans who just don't trust the results. And there mm -hmm. are some people who are overjoyed by the results, which is really odd. You know, usually you don't get so many, so many citizens in a country who genuinely don't believe the results of the election. Usually they just disappoint it. So this time is a very odd, um, a lot of sort of things have come to the surface that have been boiling for a long time. Yeah, um, only half of the people voted because the other half doesn't take any stock you know, and doesn't trust the process. I don't trust the process right. anymore when, it, when I hear things of, of servers in foreign countries being used and then data flipping in the middle of being broadcast on news. <laughs> there are strange what do you things mean? going on. Like to, to, what, what do you mean by that? Like what, what do you mean by data flipping? So, so the things you mentioned, I, I look into as well. 
mm. not deeply like an investigative investigative journalist, but I hear journalists uh, mentioning uh, occasions where uh, the data doesn't make sense uh, when you apply math mathematical uh, uh, like statistical methods to it, but also sometimes in the middle of you know the banner at the bottom of the screen on news media showing the current results of the votes suddenly jumps by a thousand votes even though it should only be a couple per second or so then um, right. it just makes me more suspicious of manipulation right yeah and and then uh and this is where it's so easy to get carried away right like because you start and then you start then what well, i do i start making all these connections mm -hmm. but like, I mean, I don't know, I'd, I'd be curious to hear if you actually have any um, thoughts, like, with perhaps like, uh, just sort of theories, if anything else, my, if I had a theory, and like, it's just a theory, would be that <laughs> if, if the election was rigged, just if it was rigged, so I'm not sure if it was or wasn't, but if it was, the most logical thing that I could see with my limited vision would be, I mean, it would seem like China, and I don't know if I would even consider that that would be like an independent thing, you know, like, because China is like this big communist government that who knows what, who is getting worked with, you know, above that you know um who knows what kind of connections it's all getting made further up at the top but if if you look at what's happened in china over the past year or a couple of years as well um the fact that this year the uyghur concentration camps have basically been a footnote in the news mm -hmm. like there was one bbc which was actually pretty well done um, there was one bbc investigative um, piece of journalism done mm -hmm. um, which was good but other than that there's been very little discussion about it and then you look at like okay so that's a trillion dollar Silk Road project that that's linked to the, the concentration camps you know they're, they're ethnically cleansing mm -hmm. the west of the country to, so that there's no chance of any resistance to their, their plan for basically economic domination rolling forward, you know, um, that Silk Road initiative is paramount. And, and so if, if you were to create a PSYOPs campaign, like if you were to just conceptualize it, what has happened would be a really effective PSYOPs campaign. If, right. if you were to look at it like that, because what, the, the, some of the stuff just doesn't add up. Like there's there's not a good explanation that I've heard yet for how the virus, um, well, for starters, the bats, and I might be wrong here, but like I, I've, I've heard some stuff about how like the bats, it doesn't make sense that it came from the bats because those type of bats don't live near Wuhan. Mm. And then there is that weird the fact that there is that weird um, sort of testing facility um, close by, mm -hmm. and 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 the weirdest part of it, though, 
I moved to London right before this all happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was, <laughs> I don't know why I moved to London because right before I moved to London, I mean, I had to move back after a couple of months because we went straight into lockdown. Mm. But I looked on Facebook and there was this exacerbated expat. I don't even know if it was an authentic video anymore. Like I assume it was, but like there was this exacerbated expat, you know, talking about how crazy things were getting and sort of showing a video of the streets and how sort of um, totalitarian the control over the virus was. And this was before a talk of a virus had even occurred. I think I went to a music event after I watched this video in Edinburgh. Like, so at this point, people, anybody that mentioned the virus, it was like, oh yeah, there's maybe something happening in China. It wasn't like a big deal yet. Mm-hmm. But I remember saying to my mom, I was like, I, I have a feeling something, something, <laughs> it felt like a zombie apocalypse, like beginning of a zombie apocalypse movie when you see on the news screens behind everybody going about their normal life. You know, like, um, that's what it felt like. And the crazy thing was that when everybody started getting these videos coming out of China of them spraying the streets down, mm-hmm. locking people into flats, uh, complexes and stuff, um, the optics of that was so powerful that it generated so much hysteria because yeah. everybody was looking at it thinking, oh, what if that happens here? Um, it must be really deadly if it's gonna if, it, if they're controlling it like that. They're willing to kill people in their apartments to stop it from spreading. Like that. And so the hysteria that then happened, what was really the strangest part then moving forward was that China seemed to just open back up mm-hmm. and go about their, their daily life as normal. Um, not that long after that. And, and so... <laughs> You know, if you did want to, whether like who, it's it, it's like the most uh, biggest kind of cliffhanger that nobody has like the actual answer to. But like, if if you did want to create a psyops campaign, whether you created the virus or not, I can almost even imagine, um, you know, like a smoke-filled room full of Chinese sort of politicians, all kind of sat around talking about like what are we going to do about this virus and they've got all the data and they're like oh it's it's like it, it is it, it can be deadly but you know it, it you know they're, they're going through some data with it and uh you know them chatting about like we have to get this under control we have to get this under control and somebody some like young intern in the back of the room with a cigarette in their mouth just pipes up and goes like like this is the perfect opportunity like <laughs> we can use this and then like lays it all out and he's like, look, if if the rest of the world is thrown into panic from this, then we can completely distract from what we're doing with the weaker camps and everything. Like we can, you know, like, and then you look forward to if you were China and you wanted to destabilize America and you wanted Trump out of office, which, you know, he wasn't very happy with China, right? Like he didn't mm-hmm. like China. At least on at least that's what he said. Yeah. Um and and so if you if you did want that, what would you you know, you would want the Democrats in office, right? Of course. Um it would make sense, I'd assume. Um and then how would you get the Democrats in office? Well, you look at how much China owns and it becomes quite unsettling to sort of think, okay, 
so much investment in Hollywood, in sports, in so many other things that we don't even know. Mm. There's so many levers of, of, you know, power going on here that it's hard to tell. And, 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 <laughs> and then, like, what is the, the absolute fundamental insecurity in American culture? It's the race debate, not mm-hmm. debate, but it's the issues of race. You know, like, it's the one thing that, like, if you were to attack with a, a, a targeted approach, you could split the nation down the middle, you know? And then on top of that, what you could also do is implant the idea, communism's all right, you know, it's not that bad. Like among the youth through the university system that's been going on for decades now. Mm-hmm. Like um, the idea that kind of communism is, is actually kind of, it's all right, it's a good thing, it's, it's cool. Even if it's not to take hold in America, what it does is it makes people less, um, sort of makes what's happening in China, it's not as villainous, like communism's not that bad, it's, it's got some good points and stuff. Um, and, and so it just, if, if you, and then also like the stuff that happened with the, uh, not, I know I'm rambling on here, it's just like my, <laughs> like my, my the, the theory just like, it, it when when you look at um, what happened with the Chad, did you catch what happened with Chad? Just a little bit. In yeah. Seattle. An autonomous region, yeah. The autonomous region. I find it strange that that wasn't the breaking news story that the capital was, mm-hmm. right? Like, it sh- it's, it's, it's a pretty significant thing to be going on. Yeah. And it was barely covered in the news. My dad, who watches just the BBC, and Sky News and things didn't didn't know that it happened, mm-hmm. um, which for me was just really odd, and it, it just made me kind of question how much propaganda is at play here. If my you know somebody can be watching the news and know completely everything that happened at the Capitol, but not know what happened at Chad, even though both things are massively significant. Um, so and even when they are aware, it gets spun. Like what happened at the Capitol has huge spin on it too. It's a huge spin, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and then you get into the whole kind of new world order, kind of crazy, crazy. <laughs> like the kind of, I mean, who knows, you know? Like it yeah, doesn't seem I, as crazy, you know? When Yeah, when, when people are listening to this, uh, a lot of them, well, some of them will probably think, oh, that's, that's crazy talk and you're a QAnon follower and all that. But, but I think it's, these are all points that should not be totally dismissed. Uh, we should at right. least keep in mind that there is some plausibility to it. We, we can't really tell how likely these things are to be true, like a, the attempt to create a, a one world government and that what happened in China is only just a, an example for, for all the other governments right. to um, replicate. Right. So I'm, yeah. I'm open to these theories. And, and uh, conspiracy is not a strange thing. It's uh, cartels, it's syndicates. It's, it's whenever right. people do something in secret in order to increase their power. But it's a totally normal thing. I don't know why the term conspiracy or conspiracy theorist is so negative because it happens all the time. And since we're not into this deeply, it's 
theories to us. So we want right. the facts, but they're almost impossible yeah. to come by. Yeah, it's 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 almost like I mean that's that's the comment that a lot of I wouldn't really say I'm I'm an avid follower of like conspiracy theories per se. Like it's more that I have fun playing around with the potentialities like in my mind um, and and sort of like I haven't really followed like the QAnon stuff really closely um, at all. You know, like and I, I, like I try and not get sort of sucked too far down yeah. in the rabbit holes. Um, but like, it's it certainly is interesting how um, the concepts of misinformation, like that's a, that's now like a like we're uh, we're we're gonna have to ban you for misinforming the public, <laughs> you know, like um, and and like using terms like oh he's just a conspiracy theorist. And almost like kind of like a demonization of conspiracy theorists yep. in the news over the past um, year or so. It certainly seems like a bit of a Canadian in the coal mine. If you weren't already a conspiracy theorist, or I don't even like that term, if you weren't already open to the idea that there's some um, or like concerning propaganda controls happening, it certainly seems like a Canadian in the coal mine. You know, yeah, it's an I, age of information and misinformation. So we all need right. to become more media literate, not let the mainstream news decide for us what we should know about, because I don't trust their judgment. Like you say, when they totally hush up uh, Uyghur um, uh, concentration camps, um, we need to be able to find at least information, even if it's not necessarily the truth, we need to be able to find many different viewpoints. And that's what the internet is right. there for. But it seems like it, it needs uh, an entire generation to get that new paradigm. It's uh, it, like, I wonder if, um, if, what was it I was, I was hearing, like, ba basically, like the, the idea of decentralization on the web may, may just be the saving grace of sort of the counter answer to this intense centralization <laughs> with Bitcoin. Yeah, of course. But, <laughs> but like that's with currency, right. but also when it comes to uh, like, and this is an area that is so sort of alien to my understanding. And so I, I'm speaking like a toddler when I'm speaking <laughs> about this stuff, it feels like, but like, you know, the idea that right now you've got YouTube, for example, has a complete monopoly on um, everybody being able to sort of have mass communication and for, for sort of like you could be broadcasting from your bedroom to millions of people. It's, it's insane. Nobody's ever had uh, in the history of humans. It's not been the case that a, a commoner could have ever have that much reach, but yeah. it's come with this increasing caveat which I've been watching with kind of, sort of quite concern. I'm feeling a bit tense as I've been sort of seeing it play out of um, there is a, a control on that by a central force that has its own ideology naturally as any group of humans do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the kind of, when I'm looking into the future and sort of trying to imagine potential situations where things, uh, get better rather than worse. Um, how cool it would be if there was 
a system where there's like a face a, a YouTube which is just uh, it's 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 not um, it's not centralized. It, it functions like a decentralized network. Yeah, aren't you aware that it exists already? No, <laughs> I don't know. So, so you're right. It? The blockchain does not only um, bring new uh, financial systems, uh, but also uh, technology in general and uh, social media, uh, messaging, um, encrypted emails, and also um, video and streaming platforms. So I'm actually going to start uploading these videos to Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com, uh, which is a blockchain-based uh, video platform. Okay. So, and you so actually get paid for watching and for uploading your videos. You get paid. How do they pay you? In their, native, in their native token called library credit. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, like, I hope that at one point, um, I mean, it's kind of, it, it was quite encouraging to see the mass adoption of Signal when WhatsApp began to push their, you know, push their boundaries just mm -hmm. that bit too hard. And all of a sudden, you know, you, hundreds of thousands of people in a very short space of time sort of woke up and, and just said, oh, like, let's just shift over to something else. We don't have to be on WhatsApp. We can have an encrypted messenger service that's yeah. not linked to Facebook. Um, and like the hope is that at one point, just like there was that tipping point for those several hundred thousand people, there might just be a tipping point for the more general of the population to just kind of have had enough. Yeah. Like it, it does kind of make you hopeful that Face, the likes of Facebook, they probably will end up pushing it just a tad too far at yeah. some point. It's inevitable, so. yeah. And uh, little movements, little changes like these happen all the time. Like, did you hear about um, the Wall Street scandal with uh, the, the GameStop? Um, yes, that's bots. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people I mean, are finally waking up it. to how they've been screwed by hedge right. funds on Wall Street, and now they're fighting back. Right. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. And that, that was, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be careful how I, how I say this, because I don't want to, um, like, it, I, I know people in, who are in, involved in the financial and trading space mm -hmm. whose businesses are linked to it, if, if that makes sense. Yep. And it was really strange that, after the pandemic was sort of taking sway and you were speaking to your friends and they were you know, losing jobs or you know their whole lives were getting turned upside down the friends that i had the you know that was involved in profiting from the the um, hedge funds and trading um world and banking world were doing great like they were, yeah, business has never been better. And I was, I was just, I was really kind of taken aback. I was, I was like, that, that's quite concerning to me, yep. you know, that you're doing so well right now. Um, that sort of makes me feel quite suspicious. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's funny how, how powerful Reddit was there in, in getting a group of, um, I don't know, what would you call that? Is it like, it's, it's almost like vigilantism, like a collective yep. sort of 
No, it's, it's a multi-effort. Yeah, people finding their own justice rather than trusting the system to do it for them. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but then the next yes. day, the, the hedge funds just uh, uh, made uh, a deal with Robinhood, one of the retail investing apps, to um, block users from buying GameStop shares. Yeah. And that then they got a lot of their billions of dollars back. <laughs> and it's been reversed again. But... That seems like a, an interesting move. I mean, like, this is like such a sort of, again, like I'm, I'm speaking as such an outsider here, but intuitively, it seems like that was such a sellout decision by Ron Hood. Yeah. Like, if, 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 if they had stuck to their guns and even released a statement like, you know, we won't be controlled, but I suppose they probably were between a rock and a hard place, though. Yeah. Like, I don't really understand what position they were in, but um, they probably were damned if they didn't, damned if they didn't. Like, they so were making I, I, on one side. I'm hoping that this will uh, wake people up and that more of them will come to crypto trading because there, uh, there's also centralized power uh, in uh, centralized um, exchanges. But there are also lots of decentralized exchanges that have started um, gaining traction last year <clears throat> where it just runs automatically. There's no one there who can be bribed, who can change the rules. You just right. exchange one currency for another. It's an automatic market maker. Um, people are incentivized to provide liquidity by uh, you know g gaining a, a part of the fees of the trading fees that people pay to use them and so th that's hopeful uh, the right. crypto technology is still very young but it's always evolving always adapting to people trying to co-opt it and uh, you know cheating the common people just like they are on wall street right so that makes me hopeful yeah, it's, it's yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think, I, it, it, I, I do kind of, I, I do kind of think that there's only, there's only so far you can push people with mm -hmm. control, and, you know, as much as uh, there's echoes to, you know, the rise of fascism and things like that, the very fact that so many people now are just kind of quite fed up with Facebook as an example. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, it's the only reason that, good example, you contacted me through Facebook since we're in an address book. And it's, you know, it basically serves as that kind of function for most many people yeah. now. It's, it's just yeah. kind of almost just like an address book of people that you've met over the years that would be quite difficult and awkward to keep in touch with if it wasn't just through that platform because that's where they all are right but other than that people's loyalty to using it is pretty they, they pretty much spent any social capital they ever had it's probably running in the negative now you know like <laughs> yeah. it's hard to imagine that they really have much at all um so the kind of the hope is that people will get sort of fed up at one point um but I've, 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 
like not to completely change the subject, but like this is something that um, has been on my mind as well from a psychology point of view that I've been really interested in. Is uh, do you know the the um, uh, did you did you ever catch any of the Jordan Peterson sort of phenomenon? Yeah. Uh, do you ever listen to debates about gender pronouns? Or? He, well, yes, I actually like that. That all of that kind of um, politics stuff was interesting to watch because it certainly gave you like a a, a more rounded perspective on the situation like whether I complete his I actually found his lectures at university on psychology to be really like yeah. interesting aside yeah. from that stuff and one of the because he he actually like delved so deeply into totalitarianism um really like you know he, he was he spent a lot of time trying to understand how does the average person become um a, a a garden in a concentration camp or how did the gulags happen or you know like he really just um mm -hmm. delved into that in, in a lot of his career and one of the things that he said which i found really interesting um was like he, he, he spoke a lot about the big five personality traits that is pretty sort of widely used in the psychology sphere and it it's orderliness agreeableness, neuroticism, conscientiousness, and openness. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and in fact, if they're quite reliable um, sort of... Indicators? Uh, what do you call them? Spectrums of mm -hmm. indicators, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, and you, you, you can, not to break people down into data too much, but you can sort of predict um, people's political leaning etc from so for example like liberals tend to be more open um, and more sort of entrepreneurial but conservatives tend to be more orderly and mm -hmm. managerial you know so right. you tend to have liberals starting companies and then conservatives managing companies mm -hmm. basically as an example but but where, where it kind of got interesting was when he was talking about Hitler um, as he, he he had a, a, a high level of orderliness, um, which, funnily enough, is quite linked to the disgust response in your mind, mm -hmm. in your brain. Mm -hmm. So where it kind of comes in is a lot of people um, might assume that um, people were scared of Jewish people, you know, like people were scared of um, what they perceived as, you know, improper behavior or, or whatever. There was some fear, but actually, um, what he like in the lecture that I listened to, Jordan Peterson was outlining, it wasn't really fear; it was disgust that mm -hmm. led um, Hitler to act the way he acted. So he started out by cleaning out the the factories for example like you know fumigating the factories and cleaning up the streets and interestingly enough the same fumigation gas that was used in the factories was the gas to clear out all of the in bugs and insects and vermin that mm -hmm. was the same fumigation gas that they used against people in the concentration camps wow. um and that's 
kind of a really really dark poetry um and 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 basically that as um as he then went on you know he was he was he often referred to um jewish people and, and other people who weren't aryan as like vermin like you know yeah. as something that needed to be eradicated yeah that was the propaganda um, of the so time to make the people believe at, that they're dirty. and then you look at kind of how right yes and and when you look at the disgust response and and the sort of high level of orderliness um the connection with it you you kind of see the parallels with the pandemic and also with just general xenophobia mm -hmm. um so with the situation with the pandemic one thing that i'm really curious about is the link between sort of xenophobia and people's <laughs> like fear of um viruses because if you look at it purely from a biological point of view and take like the sort of morals out of it which i don't think you could completely do but just sort of just saying if you live on an island like the uk um maybe that's a bad example if you just take like um latin america like central america back in the the day when days when columbus and the others inquisitions arrived they wiped mm -hmm. out the population through a virus mm -hmm. viruses you know so we have to assume probably that wasn't the first time that that's happened in the history of humans that right you've had a um tribe of peasant land turn up on your doorstep and it wreak such havoc that it, it results in everybody in your village or your town or your city or your country or your continent dying and mm -hmm. so the the fear of other might be so biologically driven that it might be really linked to the concept of sort of hard borders as a protection from pathogens if that makes sense you know so like it's it's just it's really interesting to see all of the fault lines around um sort of issues of multiculturalism and race and uh, travel between and sharing cultures and mingling which i love because i love traveling and i love meeting yeah. people from other places and then also as the virus is um just outlined how sensitive the population is to intermingling as well right it's, it's really odd Do you know it, so, it was yeah. similar um in uh, after the financial crash of 2008 uh, so many borders were um you know hardened because people believe that oh we need to take care of our own before we can take in any uh immigrants or right or, or you know pay for the debts of other countries and now it's right. similar it's it's like there's a family instinct we need to gather together around our own campfire to protect ourselves before we can engage would, with others again you you would almost like it's it's kind of like it's kind of strange you would imagine like you know the conservative kind of mindset is that everything's quite should be sort of more managed and ordered but at the same time it's quite in america got a slant of being kind of anti-government control yeah which it's kind of like it seems quite juxtapositioned in a way because mm. on the one hand they're very sort of border focused like you know build a wall make the border strong don't let people in mm -hmm. but at the same time um when the lockdowns came along it was the 
left that was really pro um, putting boundaries up between people and borders in place. It's it's kind of odd. It, it, it's really interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And when you think of uh, powers trying to concentrate uh, all governments into one world government, then those powers mm. don't care about borders at all. Just like multinational corporations don't care about borders. Mm. Just in as far as, as laws need to be used <laughs> from different countries. But mm. they they have, you know, if you believe in them, they, they have their own um, lines of communications. They're connected across borders just like anyone else can be these days. And so they are just what? using people's nationalistic fears. But it's it's another way to divide them and, and weaken them. Have you seen the Hunger Games? Yeah. I mean, like the, that um, whole concept, I think, was a little bit like an allegory in some ways for mm -hmm. the current world. Like some of the absurdities in the Hunger Games, you look at it and you think it's absurd. But then when you really take a step back and really have a think about what goes on in the world today, it's, there's <laughs> such similar absurdities that already happen. And so when you were talking about like borders there, it kind of made me think like I was... I was looking up um, how to move to New Zealand the other day, just out of curiosity. I just thought, like, I wonder um, how popular the concept of moving to New Zealand is, because like I love going to music events, but yeah, they're they're happening in New Zealand right now. They're not happening in the UK, for example. Oh, mm -hmm. So, um, and then like when I was looking into it, I realised I don't think I fit onto the list of required, um, like professions you know that there's a demand for that oh. would give me like a, a, a an easy pass in mm -hmm. and then when i looked at it i was like oh if you have um three million or something like that <laughs> new zealand dollars like you can basically investor visa buy a visa you know right. to buy your way in and then when i looked at other countries i realized i was looking at costa rica as well and it was wasn't the same but if you had a certain amount of money in your bank account then you know you can come in no yeah. problem and and so with the borders and then kind of like thinking about how the hunger games operated there was the districts all were kept separate from each other mm -hmm. but the people who were the upper echelon the class who lived in the capital could move freely you know yeah. between wherever they wanted to go and so maybe actually borders are useful um in the sense that it stops the general population from moving around. But if you have the right resources, then it doesn't stop you. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. globalism yeah. Is, is a way of making use of a cheap labor force in, in one part of the world and then selling the products they make to uh, a richer country with, with a huge profit. Mm. <laughs> and that wouldn't work unless you right. had uh, borders, keeping people inside their own markets. Right. So yeah, it is a globalist tool. Um, and yeah, being international is, is great when it's about the social aspect, like the exchanging culture and perspective and mentality. But when it comes to, to centralizing power, it, it's very you know, divisive.
anyway, we, we've covered lots of different topics and uh, yeah, I feel like I've given you an outlet <laughs> for lots of thoughts that you've been having. Uh, but that's part of sure. the, the purpose of this podcast. Um, we don't want people to hide their perspectives and then suffer because of the fear that it might not be acceptable for others to hear. Um, Lorraine, last thoughts, maybe something optimistic, maybe some hope that you have for the future before we finish the episode? Yeah, um, I think uh, something that's been like crossing my mind was that uh, how dystopian the future looked back during the Cold War era. Mm -hmm. But that version of like dystopia that was feared by many didn't really come to fruition. Um, like it, it would have seemed at the time logically like we were headed for an all-out nuclear um battle yeah like, it just everything was ramping up in that direction there was no reason not to believe that would happen and so when i've had dystopian sort of visions into the future um of the potential potentialities that's been something that's been kind of coming back to my mind and realizing just because it's looking like it could go in that direction. It doesn't actually mean it will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think probably the entire um, culmination of the Cold War fizzling out was because there really was more good people in the world than not. You know, yeah. there was more goodwill than, than uh, sort of not. And so I, I kind of, I just kind of live in that kind of, I've been trying to live in that kind of space where looking into the future, although kind of being aware that things could go in a nefarious direction at any point. Um, no, that makes sense to me. No reason to believe that it definitely will. Yeah, I, I believe in, in the goodness of people. And um, I think, like you said earlier, um, power makes you delusional. Uh, and more power hungry. And so it's not good for power to be too concentrated as in the case of governments. And therefore, I think we need to stop using our energy to fight governments or trying to vote harder to make government better and just build our own society using the technologies we have. And then people will see that they can achieve so much more by themselves or, or together, you know, exchanging ideas rather than hoarding all the power and all the, all the access to resources and, and wealth. Um, we, we can just be so much more creative when we actually don't depend on some central power and uh, create our own societies and take more responsibility for the future of our own lives. I hope that Elon Musk's Skynet, that Elon Musk doesn't turn out to be a villain. Right. Like, you know, like, because essentially if, if his Skynet does roll forward, well, as planned, then right now the government in any country, theoretically, I'm assuming, can control your access to the utility of the internet um, physically mm -hmm. because it's run through wires and, and things. Um, but once it's kind of in the ether above your 
in the space above the countries, it almost it almost becomes like untouchable. Mm -hmm. So as long as whoever's in control of that, to hope it remains somebody, uh, hopefully, I, th I hope that Elon Musk is a good character, you know, um, then hopefully like that might actually be a, a way of circumventing countries' ability to control the populations through their internet access and use, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, well, the internet is also being decentralized more and more so that mm. we are not dependent on one government or one company or one person being honest and, and doing what's good for us, but rather taking the power back and, and giving it to the people to govern themselves. So I hope that people will wake up more, uh, not let fear control their decisions or you know, giving the decision-making power over to others and uh, mm. just being more independent. Nice.